This is the New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Dan Baltic. And this is Matt Pegas. And uh, we, uh, this is episode number one, and we are, uh, yeah, doing this uh, cool fucking podcast that's going to, you know, maybe tank our careers, but <laughs> we're, uh, we're psyched. Yeah, no, great to be here. We've been talking about uh, Dan and I have been talking about starting a podcast for some time. I uh, we're, we're both we're both authors. Uh, I uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm I'm getting probably getting ahead of ourselves. No, no, no. You, you are an author. You were published. You were published by Terror House. Right. Um, yeah, I, my book Dragon Day came out with Terror House um, back in June, and Dan is also uh, looking for a home for his first novel. Uh, I don't know how much he wants to talk about it, but it's called Nutcranker, and I've read it, and it's very good. I could not agree with Matt more. Nutcranker is awesome, and it is looking for a home. So, um, yeah, you know, people should publish it. It's, it's great. It's my, my baby. Nutcranker <laughs> by Dan Ball. But uh, I think we, we bring up we bring up being authors and being writers, uh, not merely to uh, not merely to not merely in a pretentious manner, but because uh, that's pretty much why we're starting this podcast. Uh, yeah. wouldn't you say, Dan? Yeah. Yeah. No, this is not just to promote ourselves. This is honestly born of our talking about trying to get published after writing novels that are like honest and because they are honest about our experiences as young and you know maybe not quite as young in my case white men it is you know not really uh publishable in the (laughs) publishing industry (laughs) and um Yeah. yeah i mean we realize that you know there is there are very few publishers who will publish this stuff independently, stuff like Nutcranker and Dragon Day and Terror House being one of them, but there's not too many. And there's like virtually no podcasts, you know, talking about the literature that exists outside of the gated community. Um, the, right. uh, the very white bread, actually, gated community <laughs> of the uh, publishing world and the entertainment world certainly and and for me i would say um well really starting this podcast arose out of our conversations uh you know dan and i met online earlier this year uh i think we can i don't think it's doxable info that we met on justin murphy's forum um which is a a great place uh for kind of creators of an independent and perhaps dissident uh persuasion indie thinkers Uh, and we we, indie thinkers uh justin murphy's forum um, we sort of got introed as being two people, uh, working on writing projects. Um, Dan was, I think, just finishing up his novel at the time. This is back in like March. I, uh, I was already set up to publish with Terror House, but we connected pretty, pretty quickly, uh, just over a mutual interest in, uh, literature and, uh, publishing. And, um, we also found, and I don't want to say too much about this, but we also found that we both work or have worked in the past, at least on, uh, sort of the more businessy side of the entertainment industry so we have a sort of up close and personal look at what the uh quote unquote sanctioned zone uh for art and for literature looks like uh and how the deck is stacked pretty fiercely against uh straight white males uh 
And both of again, as Dan said, both of us being uh, of the of that demographic category, um, you know, we, we found ourselves, uh, you know, struggling to find places uh, to, for our work to to be published, to thrive, to be talked about. Um, and then, yeah, my as I said earlier, my book came out in June, and uh, um, I you know I was somewhat satisfied with the with the release, etc. Uh, but uh, definitely, I was struck by the 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 fact that there were very few sort of podcast to go on and promote my work. Terror House Radio, which is the podcast for, for the publisher, uh, is definitely a great outlet, and I enjoyed my interview with Matt Forney. Um, and, um, you know, there's a couple other places. A lot of the other podcasts I went on were sort of like dissident right podcasts that just w- would cover my book uh, just as like a side thing. But, but not exclusively I, literary. Not explicitly which, literary, yeah. which is what we would like to do. I, I think that there's a need um, to to really focus on this, you know, the dissident right, frog Twitter, whatever you want to call it, as a literary sphere. You know, there's some focus on that with Terror House, um, but our goal is to be another voice in the room, another another place for uh, kind of up-and-coming writers to promote their work, and also another place to, to talk about literature and talk about art. But not only the dissident right, really just anyone who is writing and to an extent I mean, this is a you know a topic in and of itself is anyone who is outside of the cathedral as uh, our um, man moldbug would call it a member of the dissident right perhaps uh, but i would say you know a lot of art a lot of literature you know if it seeks to be honest will not be at home in the publishing industry in the media industry and as such you know what we are trying to do is find a um, build an outlet for highlighting that type of work. Whether no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's right wing or whatever. Like whether it's, it's right wing, left wing, or anything in between. I mean, yeah, you bring up a good point. I mean, I think it's an open question right now that you hear not only people that are politically dissident, but even people who are on a much more mild basis, like uh, the sort of IDW uh, types. Um, it's a conversation right now. Like, are you automatically on the right if you're not in line with the uh, overwhelming uh, progressive ideology of um, of the mainstream left and of the media? Uh, I think that's an open question whether that makes you right wing. I mean, in, in many ways, it does not. And a, a lot of the greatest exemplars and the most successful authors of the sort that we are talking about delicious tacos coming to mind immediately exactly uh, are not of the right at all and have even been described as being of the left so i call it the dissident right because that's kind of how i got into all this and i think to an extent dan you as well you know the whole quote-unquote red pill sphere uh you know you you get into that it's 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 at least it's it's at least aesthetically right wing right um but as you get further into it you realize that a lot of people who end up here are not uh they're not they're, they're certainly not dyed in the wool Republicans, to say the least, but they're not even necessarily philosophically uh, too far to the right. It's, they're, they're people all over the map, and um, we are uh, new right. We're called New Right as a podcast, but I think that we are a place of uh, inclusion, are we not? <laughs> of different uh, opinions, etc. We, et we are open to everyone, even the, the people we hate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I was going to say is that. What you, I think unites you know everyone outside of the cathedral, as it were, is yeah we've all are you know had our red pilling moments. We're all red pilled in some 
form or capacity. And that is, you know, what gives us the ability to write honestly. Because if you live in the cathedral and you're blue pill and, you know, excuse the use of these metaphors if they seem juvenile, but, you know. What what does it mean to you to be red-pilled? Like, how would you define that? It it might be worth just unpacking this, just once and for all, you know. Being red-pilled, basically, you know, you can be red-pilled, the whole 4chan element of it was you could be red-pilled on any number of topics. But interestingly, I think it basically corresponds down, basically whittles down to um, a view of reality that certain biological realities having to do... Okay, I don't know. No, 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 you're right. That's what I wanted to say, though. Having to do with gender, having to do with dating, having to do with race. Like, it all... It doesn't have to be, like, KKK hood stuff. It's just, like, uh, a basic respect um, A basic respect for natural hierarchies. And there's a project on the left to ignore the existence of hierarchies across um, sex, across um, gender, race, um, you know, various, you know, abilities, um, uh, disabled, able-bodied, what have you. There's, there's the, on the political left, there is a movement to collapse all of these categories or perhaps even invert them. And to me, being red-pilled means you understand that they are real. You understand that there are natural hierarchies that, um, you know, you you see a guy who walks into a bar and he's six foot three and like 240 pounds of muscle. That guy has certain biological advantages over uh, like me. (laughs) 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 Or you see, you know, um, John Nash, you know, well, you don't see him now, he's dead, but like, you know, so solving like really complicated equations and and problems, not many people can do that. And there, there is a hierarchy to all things. And this is something that, you know, the left, will tell you doesn't exist and and their art is premised on the absence of this on the presence of a blank slate on which anything can be built but all you have to do is have eyes to realize that nature creates distinctions and that is the red pill that there are natural distinctions that you can riff on you can respond to them you can you know maybe you are like born with an ugly face and you you know work out all the time to get super jacked to make up for it i don't know maybe you're pretty dumb but you work really hard to you know become i don't know a a business executive despite that um you know there, there are ways to work around natural limitations but they do not negate those limitations. They do not right. remove them. And we have to still be honest about them. I mean, I think that you summed it up so well. Uh, that's that's what the uh, red pill means to me as well. And it doesn't have to be a big extreme thing. It's just this basic honesty about things. And once you accept certain, you know, truth, red pilling truths, um, then you're, you know, sets you free. I mean, the, but the price right. is you can't you know, stay in the cathedral. You gotta, gotta leave. Right, yeah. And so I mean, uh, left. And, but we are still in it. Uh, just people don't know that, you know, we actually have these beliefs. And so that, you know, I think actually provides, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, 
a certain uh, impetus or fire to do this podcast because we have to listen to this fucking crazy shit all day and it you know drives us us crazy um, about like diversity and inclusion riders to agreements and, and stuff of that nature yes and, you know how you're looking for a not looking for the best writer not looking for a particular type of story not even caring what the writer's written about before but you're looking for a BIPOC writer no absolutely I think that provides an impetus um you know there's a lot of there's a lot of people and I'm not this is not to put anyone else down but there's a lot of people online who their exposure who you know who maybe they're from a more conservative milieu or maybe they are just mostly online um but when you're actually in the real world and seeing how some of these uh you know critical race theory ideas uh interact with um you know real world business and in our case real world art um you know it's uh yeah it's not we're not really bringing new information here people know this is these are the conversations that happen um but yeah no it's basically just the application the extreme uh, application of multifaceted affirmative action to art uh, and when you're faced with that on a day-to-day basis um not only do we each have our own you know creative outlets but also there's a need to talk about this i think on a you know on, on a, not a, not even necessarily on a political basis but just on you know acknowledging the fact which is is part of the goal of this podcast right is to um sort of uh yeah i guess we can get into our mission statement a little bit you know um yeah cultivate a space uh, that is outside what, you know, what we called the cathedral in the mold bug sense or uh, the sanction zone for sanction art. Zone. Yes. Uh, you know, our goal is to cultivate an alternative space um, for people who either, you know, have gotten canceled or, or can't even break in to the, uh, to the sanction zone. Well, I, I think it's instructive here and, you know, obviously I'm not going to say this guy's name, because, you know, we don't want to, you know, say people's names who haven't let us say them. But on Indie Thinkers, someone wrote in saying, I have this novel. Um, it's about an honest portrayal of male desire. And, you know, I, well, how am I going to get an agent? And, you know, mm-hmm. people like yourself, I, I think I replied to him through a DM, wrote back and told him, you're not, you're not going to get yeah. an agent. You cannot write an honest book about male, the novel about male desire. It's just not going to happen. So the sanction zone, as we call it, the you know zone of cathedral, whatever, that type of work is not going to flourish there. But it already it does it it exists. You know it exists in the work, as we were saying, of delicious tacos, and even in the unpublished work of uh, well, certainly myself. But uh, also yeah, yeah, yeah. this dude who wrote in on Indie Thinkers who also wrote a novel. And you know, how many of these novels are floating around out there? So I think what we are doing here is there's like a wilderness of all these you know, people writing novels that can't get published anywhere. Or if they do get published, they're published through alternative presses. And we're creating a venue to you know, highlight these people. And show, you know, give them a place to talk to each other, for people to talk about them. And, um, yeah, this this is not our land. 
as we've talked about this metaphor before, Matt, we are yeah. building a, um, a house on your prairie. And, you know, we just want to, you know, cultivate the land, make use of it, you know, improve the land. We're improving right. the land. The, the land being the, what for lack of a better term, uh, you know, would be called the Chan zone or the dissident sphere or frog Twitter perhaps. And I think that, that prairie home metaphor, part of the impetus, uh, you know, for that metaphor is basically we're not, we're not, I don't, you know, we're not, uh, we're not here to, uh, you know, drain the creative energy from the dissident, uh, wild and, uh, like make it more socially acceptable necessarily. We're not trying to, uh, further our own careers, uh, by tapping into, uh, the energy of frog Twitter or something. Uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, this, <laughs> Dan, I think you've said this, uh, this could potentially be very bad for our careers, <laughs> but, uh, I do think that there's something to be said for, uh, you know, there, there's the kind of the, the something awful.com, uh, you know, just, um, very flagrantly offensive element of Chan culture, which is obviously great and probably has influenced each of us in our own way. But, uh, I think there's also uh, a place to kind of. The, the idea of the alternative institution, and this is something that people like Justin Murphy and even Moldbug talk a lot about, um, where it's uh, not not merely uh, the fuck you attitude and not merely the, um, you know, bringing the real truth uh, brutally to red-pilled light, uh, so to speak, but, but also a sense of, you know, you know building something new and building something that... Um, you know, is not just uh, the the sheer the sheer dissident energy, but also looking towards the future. You know, something um, that can be you know a viable alternative to to the mainstream, and maybe even outcompete it in terms of you know quality of art, exactly. or or you know outcompete it simply on the basis of of um, of being quote unquote red pilled or or having a a basis more firmly rooted in the truth, because uh, because. The cultural sphere as it is and the political sphere and the perhaps unfortunate degree to which the cultural and political sphere are, 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 you know, are are married together at this particular point in time in history uh, is, um, you know, what we're looking at is is something very drab and boring. And I think that a lot of people, not only on the cultural right, but a lot of people on the cultural left uh, would agree with that uh, or people who are simply apolitical like for example Brett Easton Ellis who I'm sure we'll probably be talking a lot about on this particular episode in this podcast in general you know I've talked about the declining state of film and the death of the novel and the fact that every you know for the last four you know things maybe are changing now but for obviously for Trump's entire tenure it was all Trump derangement syndrome was basically the uh Absolutely. <laughs> prevailing, prevailing like spirituality or something of, of, of all art that was being produced. So looking at that drab, and I don't think it's even that politicized, again, I don't think it's that politicized to say drab, cultural sphere, um, the idea of, 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 of trying, to, trying to create something new and trying to take, the, in large part, taking this uh, dissident frog Twitter energy and uh, see, seeing what that's going to look like in the 2020s. <laughs> and I think it's important to compare they have all of, you know the woke people. They have all the you know all their podcasts. They have all you know they have publishing companies. They have this. They have that. What we're seeking to do is just to create a little bit of that for us. Create exactly. The yeah. structure that they have. I mean, 
they are getting so much mileage out of shit, out of terrible art. And they're, they're getting the mileage out of it because they have institutions that pump it out. And, you know, obviously we don't have the government on our side. We don't have the, you know, the big cultural institutions on our side. But, you know, that's a process. That's, that means, you know, you got to start small. And New Right is, um, you know, maybe the, the first step on the ladder to uh, New Right Media. Or, like, not, not us that we're going to do New Right Media. That is not a step on our ladder, necessarily. But this is, you know, something that will help organize the energy. And yeah, but you build it and they will come, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, I think part of what we're saying here, uh, and again, to t speak on the prairie home metaphor, I think part of what we're trying to say here, res with all respect, is that you and I are not necessarily, not necessarily like the typical people that are uh, kind of in this dissident sphere. Um, yeah. Maybe we have a little more experience with kind of the real world arts community and maybe even just, not, not that there's a lot of other people like this too, but like, we're just we we've been shoulder to shoulder with the elite to varying degrees, and we know we have some some insider knowledge, kind of like mold bug a little bit. I mean, we're maybe not on his level, but you know, he's another example of this. You know, someone who's who's rubbed shoulders with elites, knows how they work, knows that we're we're, we're in we're within the cathedral, so so to speak. That's not everyone, you know, within the dissident sphere. We we have that uh, knowledge uh, of how it operates and. I think that the thought from both of us is that we can kind of put that to use and be helpful to sort of more online type creatives who are, whether for political reasons, economic reasons, whatever, um, sort of, you know, outside of the cathedral. And, and that's where that prairie home metaphor comes in. We're not trying to be like, you know, the, we're, uh, like s some guys in suits coming into some uh, a Western town and trying to uh, wrangle up the cowboys or something. What's that? Building a condo on the prairie. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, to, to some extent, like the, the metaphor, obviously there's a reason why I'm saying that we could even be perceived that way because that's a little bit of, uh, we're, we're just trying to acknowledge uh, maybe some of the optics there and say that, no, like this is really supposed to be something um, that, that will benefit everyone. We're not, this isn't a money-making scheme by any means. Uh, it, yeah. it's no, if nearly... anything, we'll probably lose money if we, you know, get canceled. So, right. Uh, yeah, um, no, this, this is definitely not a money making scheme. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, but we just, uh, want to acknowledge that, I guess, potential optic and, um, you know, anticipate any potential criticisms there, but, but mostly say that really this is, um, we're just trying to, to build up the art scene is really all we're trying to do here. And again, you know, having published my novel, not having had a lot of places to go promote it, um, it's, you know, it's the whole, like, you know, build what you want to see in the world thing. Um, yeah. I would have loved to have a podcast just like this to come on and, and do a show on Dragon Age. You want to see in the world. Exactly. Gandhi, but yeah. <laughs> we, we no, but are I think the that, change. Uh, exactly. We, we are the change. That can be our new uh, podcast tagline. <laughs> But uh, no, that sums up, I think, pretty well. Uh, yeah. What our what our goal here is, um, if you want, I think we can uh, yeah transition into talking about our other theme for today, which is uh, th there's pro perhaps no author uh, better, I mean maybe delicious tacos, but uh, but up there with delicious tacos, 
few authors um, better exemplify the kind of um, writer and kind of novel, if you can even call it a novel, the kind of book <laughs> uh, that better exemplifies this kind of Chan cultured frog Twitter energy than Mike Ma. And Mike Ma. Um, Dan and I had never read Ma previously, but over the past few weeks, we picked up his first book, Harassment Architecture, which um, I believe came out in 2019 originally, uh, and maybe there's been a That's couple. Right little edits of it since and then gothic violence which is a new book it's kind of like the uh book of the summer so to speak i think it came out in like july and we we, we bought it pretty quickly after that um and uh so we, we were new to ma uh and i think we both um we both enjoyed the books a lot um i'll just say that uh i'll get right into saying uh i i was very fascinated to learn about mike ma's history i mean i i first kind of learned about him as a name Maybe I heard Delicious Tacos reference him. Maybe I heard Bronze Age Pervert reference him. He's kind of well-connected. Um, I was um, fascinated and, and, and quite excited to, to learn about his history. So, so for those who don't know, uh, Mike Ma was basically a uh, Vine comedian back when Vine was a thing, back in like 2014, 2015. Somehow or other, perhaps through his social media cloud, I don't know, um, got, um, got, became like a protege of Milo Yiannopoulos during... Milo's golden age uh, of writing for Breitbart. You can still find Mike Ma's articles on Breitbart, which is which is quite striking. Uh, and, and I don't even think, Mike, not to get into this, I don't even think Mike Ma is like that much of a pseudonym or anything. I think that's just what... Yeah, no, it's, what, I, I mean, I don't think we're doxing him to say it's... Well, far, I don't say it. I, no, I, I, I don't want to say it anyway, yeah, but yeah, yeah like no, it's, no. It's, it's close it's to his close. name. <laughs> and he was a Vine star. He wrote on... Breitbart with a with a picture and and everything and he accompl accompanied Milo on the the dangerous faggot tour I suppose and um, I, I just found this fascinating to learn about this guy because when uh when I first got interested in like the dissident right back in 2017 2018 um, it, there was this this amazing electrical energy that I think in large part came from the the it the seem it was seeming to break into the mainstream with Breitbart with Milo. Uh, with what is now called, disparagingly, but what is now called the alt-light. Uh, and, and it's kind of fascinating that Mike Ma, you know, he's, like, pretty good-looking, he's about my age kid who is, like, involved in, like, the most mainstream-facing face of, you know, the dissident right, you know, of, of the frogs, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, that obviously... That uh, lightning in a bottle sense with the with with Trump's victory and all that that passed away um, and, and sort of dried up. But in the meantime, Mike Ma went from that to now being a deeply respected figure on like the 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 more esoteric more I would say more extreme, but I don't even want to put it that way. Just more more esoteric and underground element of Frog Twitter. You know, being a, a friend of Baps and a friend of Delicious Tacos and publishing these. Uh, Rather, rather striking books. Um, so I just found that heartening because, in some ways, I th I feel like Ma is, he's he's like uh, almost like what uh what when people when like the mainstream talks about like the alt right like the at this point you know I think they feel that they've kind of defeated it. But, but I remember back in 2017, 2018, the fear was like, oh my god, what if there's like this group of like twenty something like blonde decent looking kids you know who look like basically looks like bullies from 80s movies um who are like well versed in the culture but they also have like this american psycho side 
and like they're just going to like take over the world and make Donald Trump dictator. I feel like it, the reality. Let's be honest. The reality of the dissident right is is a lot more homebound <laughs> and autistic than that most of the time. Just being honest. But there are certain examples of people who really do exemplify that strongest possible uh, image, I suppose, of, of what like a dissident right kid would be. And Mike Ma really seems like he uh, is is the epitome of that. So that's my that's my little monologue to lead us in. And interestingly, uh, but... he is. I think we talked about how he's like the man in the room that people right. don't really know about. And I mean, obviously, he's more well known now after these you know novels have been published. But at the time, he was a fixture in you know all of these you know, events leading to 2016 and, but, you know, has not really even still become a, a, to the extent anyone on the dissident right is a household name. He, um, you know, has kind of, is just now kind of emerging to people's attention. And yeah, yeah, this is like, he's, it's very interesting how also someone who is, you know, as kind of charismatic, blonde, what have you, as uh, Ma managed to like kind of slide under the radar. But like, here we are. And I think, you know, the, you know, dissident right, the, the online cultural sphere, whatever, is having a Ma moment, as it were. Definitely. Yeah, it's hard to say how much he slid under the radar because he has this Ted Kaczynski vibe he cultivates where he likes to be off the radar. But no, yeah, that's another good part of what I was trying to say is like he he's he for a movement that has been so much online that extent to to, the, to which Mike Ma was actually in rooms with people and and making connections is fascinating. One of the funny things you sent me in the lead up to this conversation was um, I'm surprised it's not slightly more viral at least with the fans, but. Uh, Laura Luber just uh, sexualizing Mike Ma. Um, we'll have to link to it in the description yeah, no, on this podcast. But uh, yeah, another claim to fame, I guess, along with going on tour with Milo, is getting, uh, you know, <laughs> like almost like sex, like racially sexualized by Laura Luber. But uh, who also we'll, uh, racially sexualized herself? With right? Her, yeah, uh, it's, big, uh, uh, it's Ashkenazi. IQ and tits, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and IQ, yes. That's, uh, right, that's of course, well. of course. Um, but that is all to speak mostly about Ma as a person. Um, and I, obviously both these books, Harassment Architecture and Gothic Violence, uh, Ma is definitely one of these writers who, you know, the the person, the personality and the, the presence are, are a big part of the are a big part of the a big part of the work, big part of the literature. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to read both books back to back. Um, there's a lot that the books have in common. Uh, the 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 general themes are basically the same, but there's also some development, you know, kind of from one to the next. Um, I don't. Yeah, did you have some thoughts on sort of the 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 evolution of Ma between harassment architecture and gothic violence? So yeah, yeah, I definitely did. But I think before we get to the evolution from one to the other, maybe we highlight what we liked about harassment architecture and indeed about gothic violence as well. The like, you know, where it's really delivering the type of art that we don't have right now. Right. 
And yeah. like the moment that stood out to me in harassment architecture is like, it, you know, it should go without saying, or maybe it shouldn't go without saying, but um, Mike Ma is writing from the perspective of a straight white guy who, um, you know, it's hard to tell what mm -hmm. is satire, what is not satire, but uh, let's just say he's not woke. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, so he is in one part of harassment architecture online behind some like AOC girl um, with some like indie band t-shirt and he notices the t-shirt and he's like oh we you know we could like each other and she's hot and I, I might want to bang her and like I'm good looking too. Uh, maybe she would she would like she would find me charming. But then he remembers that if she knew his political views, she would hate him. And he and I think a moment of some honesty, some you know because he puts up a very hard front. Um, he said that he wouldn't you know he doesn't automatically hate her, but he knows that she will automatically hate him, which makes him feel in you know obligated to automatically hate her and yeah no that that you know that, really crystallized for me actually a feeling that i i have had as well because like if you are raised in um you know the on the coasts uh, among the the liberal elites or what have you you know you will be friends with people who if they you know knew your political beliefs would um they would you know just feel visceral disgust and you don't necessarily feel this rule discussed for them because they're they're part of the hegemonic uh, narrative. So like we we are confronted with something we hate every day, and so we've just grown inured to it. It's like oh of course you have you know ridiculous shitty beliefs, and yeah, and so we don't naturally hate the uh, the AOC girl, but um, you know they they naturally you know at least in Ma's estimation, and I think he's probably right there naturally do hate you. And so, you know, in that moment, like, that's kind of like he, and throughout harassment architecture, there are times where, and scopic violence, where he kind of drills down into what based straight white men are thinking these days. I think so. Yeah. No, you, um, we talked about this section previously. I'm kind of almost having some new thoughts on it now. And I think that really gets to the heart of the conundrum that is Mike Ma. I mean, these books, uh, there's plenty in here to shock the average reader. Uh, there's some sections where he sounds quite a lot like Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, describing thoughts of violence and violence against women. There's a whole theme of accelerationism, which we'll get into, uh, and about, you know, basically, um, you know, immunitizing the, the end of society uh, through random and sometimes quite hilarious uh, actions of destruction. Obviously, there's a lot of overtly dark and even violent and politically extreme elements of harassment architecture and gothic violence, both. Um, but the overwhelming, and this is, I think, is also at the heart of my fascination with Ma, the overwhelming impression I get watching watching such things as his Vine Reel from 2015, which is available online, um, listening to the Spotify playlist he has made, which is called the Mike Ma uh, Mega Playlist. Um, and I, I, these are a lot of, a lot of songs on it are, are, are also near and dear to my heart. It's, a, you know, it's basically this long indie rock playlist he's put together. Um, 
and, and the music is relevant to the section we're talking about too from harassment architecture with the girl in the crystal castle shirt because he talks about how it's not just her but also the bands that they both love you know have these politics um, another section that comes to mind that sort of underlies this more light-hearted element of ma um is uh it's like the second chapter in gothic violence or, or maybe the third or fourth chapter but when he's there's a sort of riff on brett easton ellis's glamorama where he's uh walking around this party in the hollywood hills he name drop to a comedic degree as brett does in glamorama name drops maybe 50 sort of current celebrities everyone from the cast of euphoria and stranger things to Ty Seagal, you know, the, the punk rocker uh, Ty Seagal. I guess he's more of an indie rocker. Anyway. Uh, to Victor he, Ward. And, and he all, yeah, there's there's even an to, explicit homage to, to Glamorama, name dropping the, the main character in that Victor Ward as if he's any other celebrity. But anyway, I say all this because he, Ma, the fascinating thing about him is he, he has this uh, overtly, uh, someone he wouldn't say hateful book, but he's also, he seems like an affable guy, and he seems, uh, he's a guy that I can relate to. Uh, he's Again, he's about my age. Uh, we listen to the same music, uh, him, myself, and I guess this girl in the Crystal Castle shirt, you know. Um, he's not, uh, he, he, he wants to revolt against the modern world, right, in, in an extreme degree. But at the same time, like, he, he's kind of just, he seems like a nice guy is kind of what I'm trying to say. And he's... Um, He's invested in all these things. Yeah, there's that dichotomy. And what he's saying is, yes, it's, you know, that maybe he could have some semblance of a satisfying life um, just being a normal millennial guy and and kind of shoving, uh, you know, the (laughs) red-pilled truths aside. But but what he's saying is, uh, you know, you shouldn't... uh, shouldn't go down that easy you know this, this these, these these inner misgivings these inner deep misgivings you have about modernity yes it would be probably easier to um just kind of shove those to the side but i mean ma himself what he exemplifies in his writing and his work is is you know taking those misgivings and, and leaning into them you know rather than rather than leaning away from them leaning into them and exploring you know you know the, even such things that you know, BAP explores as well, like to what degree is our food supply poisoning in us, you know, to should, should the modern world just be totally destroyed? Um, yeah, it's like, he's a normal guy, but he leans into that element. And I feel like these books, I I don't know Mike Ma, but I've seen these videos. I feel like if you know him in real life, he's probably a pretty normal dude, but he has these books that are the sort of catalog of these, these dark thoughts of his. Uh, yeah. Which that might be a good segue because you had some so maybe some nuanced takes on the idea of these books as a catalog for dark thoughts, right? Well, I would say the books kind of combine. There are those takes that I love of like being a kind of based, very based white guy and living in a you know liberal world, and then there's this accelerationist, eco-fascist narrative which is something we'll get into in a little bit and that's very interesting too and I I do have to say sandwiched in between we do have a lot of the the Bateman-esque stuff and the um, uh, politically extreme shall we say uh, (laughs) elements are you know just kind of not on the the same level of insight and originality as the other stuff like 
<clears throat> when he's like for instance in the jungle uh you know hunting gorillas not gorillas the you know the animal kind that we love but the enemy fighters you know it's just kind of like well the tom clancy thing <laughs> yeah and the when he's pushing the bookcase over on the girl in harassment architecture and you know watching her die um you know like it, it stuff like that yeah that does affect you because it's but i think as i was saying it's like pyrotechnics it's like special effects right and you know well what does it really add and so what i see here is like in harassment architecture and in gothic violence you have a lot of really interesting moments of like you know Mike being the, um, you know, giving his probably honest thoughts of like what it's like to be, you know, a, you know, dude in the modern world, um, liberal world of cathedral, and um, this kind of narrative, which you know, gothic violence builds the narrative and it creates a narrative structure of uh, surfer jihadists who are trying to accelerate the collapse of society, and that. That's the kind of meat, in my opinion, of you know what he has here. And at first, I was more a little more skeptical of the eco-fascist narrative um, than uh, than you were, Matt. And just thought it was kind of like okay, more kind of like harnessing Bateman-like energy for you know shock value, frankly. But there's yeah. more than that, and. The like obviously we'll, we'll talk about it, but he's the uh, founder of the, uh, arguably they involved in the formation of the pine tree movement, and there are ties to right wing esotericism, um, ties to um, at least ideological ties to Bath, and for sure, you know there's and so in his. The narrative that he's crafted to, like you know, advance this right-wing environmental agenda. There's there's something new there. There's something interesting there, which you know we we don't really. It's not chaos for the sake of chaos. It's chaos for the sake of this you know kind of Kaczynski-like agenda that right. is only just being sketched out. We feel. In the kind of it's it's beginning to rise from or you know permeate into the um, the cathedral the the you know outside of the the wilds of uh, Prague Twitter and the you know uh, Chan zones even you know people in the you know more cathedral like places they're beginning to notice there is this right-wing environmental movement going on and right. that's that's new that's interesting it is interesting i mean that's another element of the background i had on ma before realizing he was this uh you know former milo associate etc i i thought he was just uh he'd been introduced to me sort of as like a a right-wing you know, uh, a right-wing environmentalist which um i kind of gave me the wrong idea because i think that he is he is a right-wing environmentalist. He is, sort, you know, at least, you know, again, where does the satire end? Where does the sincerity begin? But nevertheless, in the books, at least comes across as an advocate of eco-terrorism. <laughs> um, 
But this isn't necessarily Greta Thunberg on a bad day or something, uh, and it's definitely not some weepy, uh, you know, more edgy version of, like, the, uh, you know, the, what you'd see on the back bumper of a Prius about the environment. It's a, it's a very different milieu. I mean, Ma says that he sees, you know, the climax of harassment architecture. I see God in trees. I see God in raw meat. It's this... Um, his environmentalism starts, uh, I think, out of a, a, an adulation of nature and of the hierarchy inherent in nature, of the purity, perhaps most of all, of nature and the fascist part, so to speak, or the even this the terroristic motivation comes from a desire uh, to bring that purity and perhaps that hierarchy into the realm of of politics and 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 take take man who has degraded nature and you know kind of facilitate being a force for nature taking that back or something. But he doesn't spill a lot of ink about you know the, all the plastic in the ocean. I mean, I'm sure he's not thrilled about that either. But mostly, it's you know it, it's it's less it's more simple than that almost it's like what it's like looking out the the window and seeing god in the trees and being motivated by that you know what it i mean is, it is not about veganism it is not about certainly not, not. it's animals. about eating raw meat yeah <laughs> it's, it's about and this is why i think and this is maybe even going a bit outside the text here left-wing environmentalism is inherently contradictory whereas right-wing right. environmentalism to, to embrace the environment, and I think Ma has the right idea here, you have to embrace a natural order. You have to right. embrace hierarchies. And I don't think we, we have to really belabor that the left does not like to embrace natural. They like to embrace unnatural hierarchies, but not natural hierarchies. A hundred percent, yeah. No, you're, you're right. They like to embrace... Na it's, it is... Uh, yeah, I basically wouldn't stop at saying it's it's inherently contradictory. I mean, I think that, I don't know, the association between the, the left and environmentalism in the United States, it's actually more strong in the United States than it is in Europe, is my understanding, by the way. But 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 certainly over here, I think it's a combination of, one, uh, the kind of Christian right being, having a history of being dismissive of environmental concerns. And then on the other hand, I also think it has to do with the degree to which maybe capitalism can be blamed for a certain amount of environmental destruction. Uh, and, um, you know, Ma doesn't write about economic matters a lot, but I think we can conclude that he's not, he's not, not a commie or a socialist, but also he probably, he doesn't see the free market as the solution to anything. But anyway, I think that's why there's a association between environmentalism and the left in, in the United States and, and, and in the West more broadly. Um, but yeah, I think when you get right down to the root of it, of really taking environmentalism seriously, not just having it as another set of concerns like, oh, we have to be nice to, uh, to minorities and, you know, nature is just another minority. Like, I think that sums up yeah. the, the typical really? liberal attitude towards the environment. It's, it's something much more radical you know it's it's, it's that we uh, have to return to hierarchies we have to return to codes and we've been living outside of these codes for too long and it's made us sick that yeah that's basically it and, and that's that's classic new right not new right like our podcast but that's classic like a new right like the french new right and like uh you know the evolian right etc uh, even you know even 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 history and fascism you know like that that's it, it, it's a it's a well precedented 
um, point of view. And Mod doesn't spill a lot of ink, you know, it's, these books are not, it's worth, maybe it's worth getting into this more generally for people who haven't, I feel like some of the listeners to this will not have read the books. I mean, they're not political tirades at all. What they, they're not even really novels either. They're basically just a series of vignettes. And what you get is, um, this, what we're talking about with environmentalism is over the course of, you know, a hundred odd, maybe more vignettes that Ma lays out in Harassment Architecture and Gothic Violence, both is this, this view of nature and this, um, you know, politicization of that. But it emerges through very intriguingly specific um, details that slowly emerge through, you know, basically personal vignettes, yeah. like Delicious Tacos. Yeah. I, I think um, there's one yeah. line that really kind of summarizes... Ma's view of uh, man's what man's relationship to nature should be and what it is not currently and this is at the end of gothic violence and this is after I mean I don't know do we want to do spoilers here maybe not oh for sure okay oh, I think we can I... <laughs> go for it <laughs> okay yeah. so spoilers the surfer jihadists institute a uh, new government in Florida after reclaiming it from the United States and so it's it's become a sort of new Atlantis. He, he refers to it as the new Atlantis. Yes. And he writes, in the same way that mainland America revolves its culture around things like media consumption, wage slavery, celebrities, sports, and individualism, this new Atlantis revolves around sun and surf worship, unbreakable bonds with nature, tribalism, child making, ridding of toxins through diet, literature, beauty, and the erasure of nihilism. Yeah, it's kind of satisfying because, as I said, th these books are basically a series of vignettes. But I, I was somewhat satisfied, I would say, at the end of Gothic Violence, he kind of uh, brought it all together and gave a more clear view of the type of society he would want to live in, I guess. Uh, and you see that environmental... Um, element there in that hierarchical element that we discussed but it's also interesting because and i i don't want to be reductive here but i think that harassment architecture and most of gothic violence could be described as works advocating or at least present playing with the idea of accelerationism which we also talked about uh about you know basically that this world like uh the jack donovan quote which ma brings up in one of his footnotes you know this world is a is a, the modern world is a drunk that just hasn't quite fallen over, and we just need to push him over the edge. You know, that's kind of the the what uh, what Ma, you, yeah, what Ma comes back to Nick Land and uh, a couple of other theorists. A couple of other theorists, even go. There's even you know maybe even further back history than that, but but Ma, you know, he 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 illustrates it in a colorful way. He talks about smashing the windows of every car at the car dealer. You know, he talks about all these little ways that you can create chaos every day. I mean, that's that's one of my favorite. Right? I mean, it's perhaps dangerous, but it's it's one of my, you know, one of the most memorable elements uh, of of these books for me is is the degree to which Ma can, uh, you know, pinpoint these little little ways. Like there's even a couple of like satirical posters in the back of Harassment Architecture where that say things like uh, become chaos, become the butterfly effect, carry a sharpie across town, you know, and, and cross out, you know, everything written in Spanish, and we, we can have Rome again if you break enough BMW windows. That's that's a recurring theme for Ma that I enjoyed. Um, and that I, is I actually, his yeah. packaging. 
that is his, you know, ability to market this, which is something we've talked about, how, you know, it's part of his appeal. It's not just the literature. It's not just the novel. It's the, um, it's him, you know, it's his, right. uh, his persona, his, you know, the, the artwork that it comes packaged in. And it, you know, really perfectly encapsulated in those ads at the end of harassment architecture. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of uh, it reminds me of the aesthetic of like Million Dollar Extreme a little bit, where it's yes, like this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the, well, well edited, um, very up to the present in terms of like meme culture, um, but and, and and very you know aesthetically pleasing, uh, but with a very subversive edge type packaging um, yeah like what if yeah. sam hyde wrote a novel maybe well they did it. actually by oh. the way we should maybe talk about it on a future <laughs> well, we show it's called talk about that <laughs> you know what it's called it's called uh how to bomb the u.s government i i, I want to buy this book yeah oh, wow. we should, we we'll really do it we'll do a show yeah, on it i mean uh, yeah I'm, I'm gonna probably pick it up from amazon but yeah totally i mean very similar aesthetic all and sam hyde is another example of someone who you know, he's a dissident right figure, but he was, like, impressively close to power. You know, with Ma, it's that he wrote for uh, Breitbart. With Sam Hyde, it's perhaps even more strikingly that he had a yeah, sure Cartoon one. Network Cartoon show. Network. Oh, well, well, hopefully not too repetitive of the, the Perfume Nationalist episode on MD, but we should do a Million Dollar Extreme Sam Hyde uh, show yeah. at some point. Well, I mean, like, anyway, the, the novel, yeah. clearly. If I, I didn't know about that. So. Yeah, no, I, it might be hard to get because it's because of its controversial title, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll 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 get it. I don't even actually know that much of what I assume it's kind of like harassment architecture, but we'll we'll uh, we'll talk about that. But uh, no, basically what I was what I was going why I was talking about this is um I, I you know in my book not I'm just gonna shamelessly plug my book again in in my book uh, Dragon Day there's like um there's like one section where the kind of um, darker figure i won't call him the villain but like the darker figure in the book sort of uh lays out some some potential ways to sow chaos in this sort of way uh in terms of like you know just just committing horrific act like if it's what you want you just gotta follow your will and like just do this uh chaotic shit and you know i had that for like three pages like wow my book uh my book has some edge but ma has basically the whole book the whole book or two books now <laughs> laying that out but I want to say, even though as much as I enjoyed that in the sections about, you know, um, you know, surfers beating up people for littering on the beach and stuff, as much as I enjoy those sections, uh, it's kind of interesting how gothic violence finally takes the next step. So it's like so much of Ma is the, this world is evil and we need, uh, you know, to, to bring an end to it through accelerationism. So much of both books is about that. But then by the end of gothic violence, it does have a narratively satisfying thing where it's like, you know, and we did it in Florida, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and it brings it to an interesting close and there's, yeah, I would say a surprisingly cogent, um, sort of manifesto at the end. Uh, and also I found it surprisingly trad, so to speak. Cause we talked previously about how like, there's kind of a, there's a tension between the trad quote unquote trad types and the quote unquote accelerationist types. But with Ma, you actually see in some of his description of the, of the life they lead, as a society in Florida, he actually references the Amish a couple of times. So yeah. you can see that maybe for him, that tension is a little bit, you know, there, there it's the traditionalism on the other side of the collapse. Yeah. Accelerating into drag. And in that, you could see that paralleled, I think in his novels, harassment architecture being, I would say a bit harder edged than Gothic violence. He's, not, but then you know we get into gothic violence and 
you know, he, he does have that chapter on how um, birth control makes women um, un, uh, unfeminine. And um, that is, you know, could, of course, be interpreted as um, hatred for women. But um, it could also be interpreted, and he, he does make clear that he appreciates femininity and motherhood. And he wants to, um, you know, embrace that and have you know, presumably you know have yeah. a society where you know a more traditional society yeah no i think that that chapter is probably one of my favorite ones from this the later part of gothic violence he he talks about how how birth control ruins a woman right and most people reading that will say you know your nor average normie reading it would say oh this is uh, misogynistic this is sexist but what i took from it was what he says about women who are not on birth control I, you know he there's like inherent to his criticisms of modernity and this sums up him a lot i think inherent to his criticisms of modernity in this case birth control on the other side is that it can be better that there is a purity that underlies the decay and the way he describes you know the maternal presence of women and elsewhere in the book too the maternal presence of women who who are actually worthwhile <laughs> and in his view are not you know they're not on birth control um shows you that you know that that more hopeful wholesome side of his of his work yeah <laughs> undoubtedly and uh that's you know he ends ends it in a hopeful place i would say Gothic yeah violence. he does he ends it in a hopeful place i mean he doesn't end it in a place where there's uh, he he's he's as much of a heretic if not more than ever but nevertheless i think it ends on um on a more hopeful note than harassment architecture which kind of just ends in a angry rant <laughs> yeah. but both books are great really but um yeah, you know, in terms of uh, accelerationism, the acceleration of it all, there, there was a kind of a topic on that. One last topic on that that I wanted to touch on is, um, you know, I guess pose it as a question, like, is, uh, is it irresponsible to, <laughs> to deal with accelerationism in this way? I mean, I've had a kind of mixed take on this throughout my online career, and my book in some my dragon day in some ways is a warning against certain elements of accelerationism but because i think that the notion that everything has to be destroyed um could probably be pretty destructive for a lot of people <laughs> in their personal lives etc of course yeah I, but yeah i think i don't know if you have thoughts on that yeah accelerationism like obviously like all the various schemes that ma lays out in both harassment architecture and especially gothic violence is you know potentially very dangerous people read it and do it that's you know that's going to be very bad and but, uh i don't even really want to say this but maybe i should just to for again because our goal always is to be honest there was a case and this didn't turn into anything but there but it's also kind of funny too if, if we're being honest in, in a dark way there was this case and i talked about this with matt forney on on the podcast on my book there was a case earlier this year where this um guy i guess the fbi or something like uh uh flouted um some neo-nazis uh like plan to i don't know if it was going to be a mass shooting or a bombing or what but it was it was um it was it was ended before it started you know it was it was it was uh stopped before it even started but uh, oh, yeah, this guy that. this guy he had a copy of a revolt against the modern world and he had um and he had harassment architecture. <laughs> so look, uh, but look, I would—I'm never the type to—I—I—I 
I think that artists are, are very rarely, if not never, at fault for what crazy people do with their work. But nevertheless, it is worth noting that in the wrong hands, yes, um, some people could uh, maybe take some of the more extreme sections of these books too literally. Um, <clears throat> but I also did want to say, even even though I think there is a danger to taking accelerationism too much at face value, uh, I think that the power of the notion of accelerationism can't be denied, uh, and that it's far superior to LARPy trad stuff, and that advocating, you know, basically hijack, especially when it comes to, I think, hijacking elements of popular culture, um, that accelerationism has a certain, certain power uh, that can't be ignored. I agree with that. And also just you know, bringing this back to being an art podcast, essentially, a literature podcast. I don't think we can, you know, even if something is dangerous, as long as it has literary value, it's still, you know, it should be talked about. It should be read, or it should, maybe it should not be read if it sucks. But if it's good, it should be read. And, I mean, I think we do have to weigh the literary value versus the um, potentially socially irresponsible uh, consequences of you know producing certain works. And yeah. No. Well, we're certainly on the same page there. Yeah. yeah. And you know, <clears throat> if you have a, a book that is just like this is a book how to make a bomb, yeah, maybe that shouldn't be so widely available. <laughs> but if you have a book that is like harassment architecture, which has clear literary value or gothic violence, even the more, I would say some of the more extreme elements do detract from its overall appeal, but they don't, and this is where I think we differ from the uh, boys and girls in the cathedral, we think it should still be read, even if it's yeah. dangerous, well, if it's still, if it's art, we should still read it, because we're all big boys and girls, and we can, you know, we can read things, and, you know, even if they cause a stir, you know, we, it'll be okay. I mean, God knows uh, the left has a lot of stuff that's dangerous that they read and promote. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, fair is, yeah. fair is fair. We've been talking about the extent to which Ma's um, accelerationism is potentially socially irresponsible. And we would really be remiss if we didn't also discuss the extent to which um, I, I don't know if it's really his being socially irresponsible or just, you know, simply holding these views, but he does, in Gothic violence at least, um, voice opinions that uh, present favorable views of the, um, the, the Nazis and the Confederates. And this does you know pose a, a little uh, <laughs> <laughs> some some issues for some readers uh, for for us um, at least for myself and I mean I think naturally we are a pod that uh, our goal is to get away from this sort of policing of literature and this sort of like you can't say this you can't say that and if it were the case that ma were just writing straight fiction 
And I mean, it, it is important to take into account that he himself says this is a satire. So that is an important thing to consider. That being mm -hmm. said, his person, his persona, is very similar to that of the books. So we, it, we do have to consider that these views are you know, potentially his own, and if that is the case, you know we we can enjoy the rest, and we do enjoy the rest of his works, but. Um, we have to come out and say that um, genocide and chattel slavery are not new right values. And they, <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, yeah, no, of course we 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 uh, we disavow, so to speak. Um, I mean, I found the execution in gothic violence, and this is possible because I've over like over uh, exposed myself to more overt extremism online. So. Um, gothic violence and harassment architecture feel kind of subtle and artful in their presentation of such ideas in contrast. But I think you're right. I mean, I think that the, as I've said it before, and we'll, we'll say it again, you know, where the satire begins and ends with Ma uh, is is completely unclear. And uh, yeah, no, our, our, our podcast is... Um, is exploratory of a lot of these writers and even of some of these ideas, uh, certainly without... Um, endeavoring to make them make the more extreme elements necessarily more respectable definitely i just wanted to also add that like i think that yeah i think that i think that accelerationism can be dangerous when taken at too much at face value the whole idea of you know not so much using the put it this way i think that accelerationism when taken too much at face value in terms of like going out and killing somebody obviously that it gets sketchy and that's not a good path for anyone because you're just going to get arrested not even to touch on moral matters but there are certain elements of accelerationism and it's it's not that mike moss so much explicitly advocates this but other thinkers like nick land and um, alexander dugan to an extent have spoken on this the whole notion of flipping the postmodern paradigm on its head is very appealing to me and i always go back to this I think there's a lot of value in, you know, the Vermeule, well, I think there's some value in, like, the Vermeula types and just social conservatism and traditionalism in general, advocating, you know, starting the family and supporting your family, blah, 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 and political and, integralism. And All of that has its place. But I have to say, if we look at the, the most interesting stuff that's happened politically for the past decade... None of it is of a socially conservative, per se, nature so much. No one's out... It's not like what... Not even to just like take a, a, a typical alt-right whipping boy, but not even... It's None of it's like what Ben Shapiro would advocate. None of it's even what like Rod Dreher would advocate. What it actually is, is game show host is president. Um, meme war victor. You know what I'm saying? Like it's... For better or worse, we don't have to be extreme accelerationists, but I do think that we have to. There's really something to that idea of of, of diving into the um, modern and postmodern world as it is, and and flipping on its head, causing chaos responsibly, right? Um, and uh, I think that that's my, I guess, quote unquote, well-adjusted take from from people like Ma is that. You know, basically, we need to, and and also like that million dollar extreme aesthetic we're talking about, like taking, taking the postmodern world as it is, and and like, 
and using it against itself where possible. And I think that also interacts with what, what, what we do because both you and I, you know, we're, we're not really trad types to say the least. We're like in we, the belly we, of the beast. We're in the belly of the beast. And our goal here is to um, interact with popular culture as it is, find out what's redeemable uh, in it. And, um, find it also you know use use what is extrapical in it against itself you know exactly. as the case might be i mean that is that is very ins- much more that notion is much more inspiring to me than than the larpy trad stuff exactly. and mike ma i think is an example of you know both of both subverting popular culture but also you know the the the, the better elements of the trad stuff and the socially conservative stuff the stuff that you know went over that one that you know like in in wrestling it's like you put the story over that's what they say and the the stuff that caught on you know trump winning um brexit what have you that has its roots in the generative capability capacity of you know this this wild west of 4chan of uh frog twitter of you know this untamed zone on the internet it does it has its roots in that energy which again it's a goal of ours to to help to cultivate and and yeah no there there, there's uh there's ironies to it you know the ted kaczynski line the the, perhaps the pine tree party line is let's disable the electricity grid well none of us would be here and on this corner of the internet without the electricity grid so there's like there's this what's that yeah mean without electricity exactly can't mean without electricity um you know, so there's that. It's not a. It's not a contradiction. It's just a, a certain irony, and it's. A, I think it's a generative irony. Yeah. To 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 be have your feet in different circles, uh, you know, and it kind of bring it together. That's where the magic happens, right? You're quite right. Where you compare to Vermeule, where you compare to the social conservatives, and they haven't delivered much of anything because they're not cool. It's it's, it's fucking lame, and that's it's just it's not going to deliver. Because what you need to push a narrative across and have it gather steam and catch on, it has to be cool. It has to be something that people like yeah. reading, like you know, like watching. And that is it's this this tool that is untapped largely untapped potential of the um, I don't know the dissident movement, I don't know what we want to call it exactly. But there is mm-hmm. this um, this energy that's creative, that's artistic, and that the other side just doesn't have. They, they don't have right. It. They don't, and that's why um, people, you know, make fun of him for being alt light. But I think Milo was a pretty thrilling uh, figure, you know. And I think Ma is a protege of Milo still, you know. I, I not not in every way, not, and his ideology is obviously quite different. But yeah, Milo is a great example of this, of someone who took the, you know, our culture's love of gay men, for example, and just completely <laughs> flipped it on its head in 2016. Um, Absolutely. And uh, that stuff is really powerful. And there, there, there is an accelerationism to that. Um, but, but it's also extremely effective and extremely exciting and something that I, as a, as a consumer of culture, um, both enjoy, you know, watching but also enjoy kind of being inspired by. Uh, another interesting thing in Mike Ma that I found was uh, the sort of 
intriguing spiritual slash religious elements. Uh, and I tweeted something about this that Ma actually retweeted and I got a bunch of likes, you know. Oh, yeah. I don't know if this is so much something you're interested in, but, like, do you kind of... I kind of got the rumblings, especially in Gothic violence, and there's a section where he sort of uh, name drops the title, you know, the the title Gothic violence, um, where he he reflects on, like, uh, the sort of spiritual paths that we have open to us, and he says... uh, uh, th- this is the inevitable path of certain men, not occultism, but the rituals of it, not darkness, but a closeness to it. Um, and I found that section really intriguing. Um, I'd also recently read, you know, I, I frequently check back on the Wikipedia page of Bronze Age Pervert to see what the official uh, narrative on BAP is. And I guess some scholar or other made some point that if... if if ever a religion were to rise out of the ashes of the alt-right, uh, BAP would perhaps be seen as one of its progenitors. And um, not, to, not to get onto weird esoteric topics per se, uh, but I did find myself thinking about that reading Ma. It's like, is this, what are the rumblings here of like this like spiritual religious awakening rising out of the ashes of the dissident right? I mean, I, the reason I find it intriguing is because in other sections, Ma basically calls himself a Christian, and certainly he seems monotheistic. And then you have Bap, who he's got a very pagan aesthetic, but in other ways, you know, his energy is very solar and almost monotheistic as well. So uh, I don't know if you have thoughts on this. I don't even know if I'll put this in the recorded version. I just um, couldn't help, and it corresponds a little bit with the accelerationist stuff, like there's this element of maw and you get a little bit in bap too, but where it's like an embrace of a closeness to darkness and like the rich, Oh, as he says, the rituals of the occult without, without being the actual cult, but will still be grounding in like this right hand path, monotheistic, um, traditionalism. Um, I think we don't have to riff on this log. I think all I'm describing here is the sort of more spiritual religious dimension of that accelerationist to trad dichotomy. But I definitely find it interesting. I mean, I'm not, I don't think it necessarily be good if there was some weird religious movement that came out of Twitter, but at the same time, it's definitely an intriguing thought. And like, I can't help but think because as we said, the Vermulas, the, the trad cats of the world, don't seem so effective about getting their ideas across. Like, is this combination of I a certain so. accelerationist logic with I the mean, ethical monotheism? Yeah, Bap has already succeeded in this regard. You have you know legions of Baptists who um, embrace what he promulgates, which you know I, I'm not um, as uh, well read in, in BAP as you, but I think it's not unfair to say that he promulgates a um, a, a, retur- a, a red pilling, as it were, a return to natural hierarchies, natural traditions, and um, that is the, the sun and steel, you know, it that is the religion that is a religious it is a religious act according to BAP according to Ma I would say to embrace nature to embrace natural hierarchy yeah and and the 
the subtlety of that. the message, what makes them different from some some dork and there's a meme going around recently where it's like i won't even get into the weeds of it but like where it's like a chad meme lifting weights and it's like i learned to go to church and not eat fast food and like you know it's like yes that's important but the subtlety in the message of someone like bap and someone like ma is that you need to do that but you also need to be acquainted and this is in the last chapter of bronze age mindset laid out too you have to be acquainted with the with the underworld, with the, with the disgustingness and, and the, the filthiness of this world and of the modern world and, and, and a close acquaintance of that without giving into it, uh, you know, without, and without being a Satanist and without being an occultist um, is the other piece of the puzzle that you need in order to, to effect, in, in order for your politics not just to be self-help. Um, and I don't think it's a fully articulated thought yet, but I think that Bap and Ma are like on the case of articulating what that could mean. And as someone um, who's of an artistic temperament and also someone who's of a religious temperament, um, I, I am, in, you know, I'm very intrigued to see how this evolves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say the question of is Ma a Christian? Is Bap a Christian? Is, you know, it's not even the, exactly the right question. It's more, what does, to what extent does a, an embrace of nature and you know man's natural qualities, to what extent is that Christian? To yeah, no, 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 that is the question. And does that fit under Christianity? And I think, you know, I, I don't know as much about that. I've, we've read a, a bit of Ma now, and. I think they're, you know, to an extent agnostic about, you know, whether, I mean, obviously there's a cultural signifiers of, you know, being a, a Christian and wanting to preserve that cultural heritage. But um, I think Ma's, you know, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but Ma's religion is a worship of man's capacities. Uh, not un, unembellished capacities, natural capacities. And to the extent that can coexist with monotheism, that's great. To the extent it, and also this actually, I, I'm thinking of this right now, at the end of Gothic violence, there is a moment where he gets very psychedelic, where he starts talking about the oneness of things and how everything has, oh, and this is good, everything has been alive forever. And I, I don't think we've discussed this ourselves, but no, but it's great um, stuff. Yeah. yeah, but if I and I, I don't know if you've ever taken psychedelics, but I have, and the oneness of things, and that's that's something like you know, after a trip, you're just like, yes, and living forever. It's the sense that nothing ever dies, and hmm. it's it's clear to me that. Ma, you know, had some type of psychedelic motivation while he was writing that. Oh, I think so. Um, I have, I'll just say, because I don't mind getting more personal, I've never taken psychedelics just due to fear of how it interact with, I guess, anxiety or my own neurosis. But um, I think that people do have very worthwhile experiences on it. It sounds like you have. And I, I don't remember if Ma explicitly references psychedelics, but I would say that there's absolutely no fucking doubt that he has. <laughs> Again, even just going back to that Spotify playlist, um, you know, most people who listen to certain types of indie rock, you know. But uh, no, there is a psychedelic dimension and, um, and that is about a the oneness of things. Thing. 
that it is, is yeah. a, you know, the, this sort of like oneness and never endingness of, of life is, is coexistent with um, the, the you know, transcendent uh, qualities of man. And, you know, right. each man born, you know, is going to have those same qualities throughout, you know, history. Yeah. Because, you know, of genetics, of, you know, what have you. And that, too, is there's a, a certain, um, you know, in Christianity, the, the Trinity, the, you know, the Holy Ghost, there's a certain element of uh, mysticism in Christianity as well. There is. You, no. Go on. No, sorry. It's just fascinating when Ma, with Ma, maybe especially in Gothic violence. I think his answer is... I mean, I, again, I don't know if he's explicitly called himself a Christian, but he's very, very interested in Jesus and interested in Christianity. And what I, the impression I get is, you know, he, he garners his spirituality. Yeah, he's probably had some psychedelic experiences. He, he's almost like a nature worshiper. But I think that there's a real argument that you get throughout it that, no, this stuff is not in contradiction with monotheism at all. Um, you know, the line at the end of harassment architecture is, I see God in pine trees. It's not, I worship pine trees. It's, I see God in pine trees. I see True. God in raw meat. And I, I've, I've actually, just again, um, it's worthwhile being personal with some of this stuff. Like, I grew up Catholic. I still uh, attend church, uh, but I'm not a devout Catholic, but I still find a significant amount of value in going to church and worshiping God and praying, etc. But I also, you know, I'm a bit of a Baptist and you know there's a pagan element to that you know I'm lifting weights and I'm looking at the sun and I'm thinking why don't I just worship the sun but then I think like the sun is just a ball of flame out there but what is but could it but maybe it's the most powerful symbol of something transcendently existent and for me you know sun worship is like uh you'd have to talk to someone like Camille Paglia or like a a um anthropologist but it's like the notion of like a, a again solar, like a more solar paganism, uh, which you get in BAP. BAP is very solar pagan. You know what I'm saying? That almost is like a step towards monotheism because it's still you know there's only one sun. You know and it sure. is the, the the bringer of all light. So it's like it's like again tapping into paganism and the the raw energy. It's a little bit like the podcast too, right? It's like the the raw energy of uh, primordial paganism. But like also bringing it in line with some with some structure, with something more structured like traditional Catholicism or Christianity. Um, I think that we're like again, it's kind of I lines up metaphorically with with some of some of the other topics we've talked about in a nice way. I think we're seeing the first rumblings of like taking that sort of in, in someone like Ma and Ba taking that pagan occultist energy and like refining that as the roots of something much more structured and above board and right-hand path in the occultist sense uh, and, and applying a structure to it, which is uh, at least not inimical to Christianity, if not just a new era of Christianity almost. Um, and that these are heady topics, but uh, but worthwhile. I'm glad we talked about them. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, a, a new religion shall arise. Yes, or or the new, or the old religion, but you know, updated to to fight on the modern uh, battlefield. That's her second podcast, the new religion. Oh. So we are we are looking forward to finding new voices, and you know, just helping helping new voices find other new voices in this 
world that you know doesn't really have the same institutions that they, they have on the, the inside. Yeah. Because like this is where the real art is. It's not in there. In there, like it's all dead. You you know you can't produce art in an environment that is like heavily censored. Yeah. Because you need truth for art, and uh, so we we've got that here. We have right. we have all the natural resources. Yep. The creative energy has dried up for the mainstream, and I think our goal is to be a, a conduit. You know, a a, a canal <laughs> for this energy. Um, and to help to bring it into, uh, you know, this new decade, the 2020s, and uh, see where it goes from there. But I think that's a pretty good uh, wrap up to our first episode.